Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But man, when Noah's on the air, holy shit, <laughs> I feel stressed like I've never felt in my life because I have no control over it. And I know that he's highly prepared and excellent at his job, but it's just being a dad. It's like taking you back to Little League all over again and they pull him in from second base and ask him to pitch and you're like, what? No! No, he's not a pitcher! Why? What's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rohn Podcast and welcome to episode number 256 where I am so excited. I am so hyped for this. I'm about to chop it up with an absolute icon, an absolute legend of the broadcast game, and a legend in general. I mean, as a human being. Now, you know his voice, of course, from the NFL and CBS and the NCAA tournament and Turner Sports NBA broadcasts and a long and impressive career calling just about anything and everything. There's literally nothing in this business that my next guest can't do or hasn't done already. Of course, I'm talking about play-by-play icon Ian Eagle. I am proud to say that Ian and I go back. We go way, way back. So, I want to get right to this. I do not want to waste another moment. Let's jump right into it. It is time to get caught up. It is episode 256 with the iconic broadcaster, Ian Eagle, and it's coming at you right now. My man, Ian, I don't even know where to start. Well, actually, I know exactly where I want to start. I want to start with the Jets, but before we do that, what's up, my man? How you doing? Oh, it's great to talk to you, Romy. I don't know if people realize, because years go by, how far we go back. I met you in late 1992, early 93. It was that range. You came to New York to do a bunch of shows. You were doing them out of the west side of Manhattan. And somebody brought me in on a guest spot. And we're talking about 30 years. That is mind-blowing to me that it's been that long, but it's great to talk to you. My man, I'm so thrilled that you remember that. That is incredible. And I'm constantly caught, and my wife's saying, stop doing that, stop doing that. But tracking time, Ian, is just so incredible. 30 years, how is that even possible? 30 years, but it is true. It is true, and I appreciate you saying that. So if we were to start somewhere, and again, there is no convenient place, but I want to ask you about the Jets because when you look at your career, you handled the team's pre- and post-game radio coverage early in your career. You became the voice of the Jets in 1997. Of course, you currently call their preseason games. In addition to your NFL work on CBS, what I'm getting at is you've been around the franchise for decades. The narrative of late is they're currently a quarterback away from being a championship contender. Do you buy that? And if so, who is that quarterback? Yeah, by the fact that there's a positivity from Robert Sala, there's a belief in how he goes about his business, how the players react to him. That's real. You you can feel that. You go out to their facility. There's just a different vibe there. And that's uh, partly because of his approach, but then also what Joe Douglas went out and did. He drafted a bunch of legitimate 
players, both sides of the ball, guys that are going to grow into positions of leadership and pro bowls. This is real. That that's, that's on paper. You can't take that away. The part that you're never quite sure is how are they going to handle it when something is really on the line and you don't find out about that until you're in it. And what happened this season, unfortunately for them, they didn't get to really feel that they didn't get to play big time, meaningful December football. Yeah, they were in it. They were on the periphery, but you knew they weren't one of the teams that was going to make it coming out of the AFC. So when you look at the big picture in regards to this team, Romy, you look at that one spot, it's the quarterback spot. Look, their hope was that Zach Wilson would be the guy and clearly they did everything in their power and what they thought they could do to help guide him in that journey. And it just didn't happen in year two for him. And it makes you reassess the direction of the team of that position. And I don't think it's lip service. I don't think it's just them saying, Oh, we got a quarterback. We're good to pacify fans or to create a narrative. I think that's actually correct. I think they are a quarterback away. They've got the skill position guys. They've got a legitimate defense. They have young players, good mix of veterans. Who is that guy? Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is the name that comes up most. What does it take to get him? Does he want to be there? Is he all in? Uh, the fact that they hired an offensive coordinator that has a relationship with Aaron Rodgers, I don't think that's by happenstance, but he also had a relationship with Robert Sala going back to their Jacksonville days. And then the other guy that comes up is Derek Carr, who has been an efficient, effective quarterback in this league. The question, does he put you over the top? And that's what the Jets are grappling with right now. Which of those two guys puts you in the best position to win today? If you're looking at a five-year period, Derek Carr has more years left in this league. If you're looking at today, right now, swap it out. Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback you got to feel as if that's probably where their head is at, but I think they're trying to sort out whether or not Rodgers has that in the back of his mind. I think that's so interesting in what you just said, I and all of it. Let me ask you about Aaron then. You've spent some time with him in your production meetings. I know Aaron a bit, having had him on my programs my entire career. Our colleague, Tiki Barber, said on his show recently that Aaron is simply too sensitive to deal with the New York media. Where do you come out on that? Do you think that Aaron would struggle in any way with that? I think Aaron is really smart. If you sit in a production meeting with him, you walk out of the room knowing more than you did than when you walked in, and that's how you judge it. You know, I think back to production meetings with Peyton Manning, with uh, Tom Brady, with Drew Brees, with that ilk, with that level of QB. If they want to impart knowledge and they're in the mood to do it, man, you can learn a whole lot. Aaron's one of those guys. Now, what's happened in the last few years, the back and forth with media, the fact that he's been in Green Bay where you can control the narrative now that it's more of a national scale and there's so many different platforms to, to share an opinion. And Aaron seems to, to catch strays a lot where he will hear something or hear about something and then he'll respond to it. He'll respond to it on someone else's show. He'll go on Pat McAfee. He'll make mention of it there. He'll pop on a social media account, make mention of it there. Look, in New York, you've got to know what comes with the territory. You have to know what you're signing up for. 
I don't believe, and I've lived here my whole life, Jim, I don't believe it's just pot shots and it's continual shrapnel. I do think there is a method to it, and Aaron would be smart enough to figure out how it all works. The question is whether or not he wants to deal with it at this stage of his career. I think you're right. I mean, he's been in Green Bay. It's been a smaller market. He knows how that works. You're right. I mean, he he is very, very smart. And if he wants that, he can take that on and make that work. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. I mean, let's backtrack for one second. Like, can you let us inside? You always hear about production meetings, production meetings. When you sit with the likes of a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees or an Aaron Rodgers, like, without giving up too much, what goes on in these production meetings? What kind of a rapport do you have with the quarterbacks? What are you looking to get from them? And are they doing them because it's mandated? Or are they looking to also get something out of it themselves? What goes on exactly? Jim, it's, it's this mystery until you are actually in it. So when I heard that this was part of it, I get signed by CBS in 1998. And part of the deal is you meet with the head coach, you meet with three, four players. If you want to meet with coordinators, it's all there for the taking. And you go out to the facility on a Friday for practice and they get a room for you. And then they usher the players in the coaches in and there's no cameras there's no microphones it's not off the record it's on the record unless they state it but it's really just for your background for your edification and to get a feel and a vibe for the team so my first game for cbs is miami at indianapolis 1998 it just happens to be the first professional game for peyton manning he's the number one pick in the draft that year and i show up the first person I'm meeting with in our production meeting that I'm told about that I've never experienced is Peyton Manning walks into the room. I stand up. I said, Hey, Peyton, how you doing? He says, Hey, Ian, how are you? Mm. So he knows my name. Wow, like, man. Wow. Well, that's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> and he now goes on and, and puts on a clinic on how to do this. I'm asking questions. Mark May is asking questions. Our producer, Victor Frank is asking questions. Suzanne Smith, our director, asks a couple of questions, and he's knocking them all out of the park. And then he walks out of there, shakes our hand. Uh, I said to myself, man, these production meetings are awesome. <laughs> Think of all the great stuff you get. He's telling me about his preparation. He's discussing uh, how he views offense, the difference between college and NFL. And then, Romy, I realize it just happened to be Peyton Manning because the, the production you meetings bet. aren't that Good. This guy was just so elite at it, and he continued to be the best among the best at production meetings throughout my career. So five weeks later, we go into Oakland, and we have Chargers and the Raiders. And Ryan Leaf is also a rookie that year. He's the second overall pick. And let me just say this. I give a lot of credit to Ryan Leaf for what he's done in his life and how he's turned it around. He's created 
a broadcasting career. He seems to have a beautiful family. Anyone I talk to that knows him, works with him, says he's a really good dude. And I'm telling this story because I think he would be okay with me telling it. He's the number two pick in the draft that year, Jim. So all the comparisons are out there. Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. We show up for the production meeting in Oakland. And back then, it's not always the same now, but back then, CBS would have a little spread for the road team. Some drinks, some chips, maybe a dip here and there, (laughs) a guacamole potentially, a salsa. This particular day, they have a nacho cheese machine. I've never seen one in a production meeting. But that day, they have a nacho cheese machine. So we're talking to the Chargers. I've never met Ryan Leaf. It's going to be our first meeting. If you remember, they actually got off to a decent start that year. You know, you were living it. They did. They were 2-0. and uh, the Colts were not very good. So even the, the the rumblings were starting. Hey, maybe Relief was the better pick. He wasn't. Peyton was. He was the, the no-brainer. So now Leaf comes in. We've already met with like three or four of the Chargers. He's the last guy to come in. Each guy that comes in, really as a joke, I'm saying, hey, great to meet you. You guys want some nacho cheese before we get started? <laughs> right. And every person's like, no, I'm good. Thank you. And it's like from the 7-Eleven nacho cheese family right. that the squirter so leaf comes in and i throw it out there like, hey ryan how you doing i and he goes hey you want some nacho cheese he goes oh yeah cool <laughs> so he goes over he doesn't use a plate he puts his hand out and he squeezes the nacho cheese onto his left hand and he starts licking it off his hand and Mark May is kicking me under the table. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? Incredible. And he sits down. He's got a Kangol and a vest matching. And I'm just looking at him, and we're talking to him. And he was not great in the meeting. He was pretty defensive. We weren't asking 60 minutes type of questions, but he just wanted no part of it. He just didn't want to be there. He didn't want to answer the questions. They had been on a losing streak. They ended up losing the game 7-6 in an NFL classic. And... <laughs> I just remember walking out of the meeting with our production team and with Mark May, and we looked at each other like, I don't know if this dude's going to make it. <laughs> you just learn something about the people more than anything else from these production meetings. So if I could tell you that maybe 35% of the time you get really good stuff and, and they're prepared and they want to they wanna share information that can really help you in the broadcast, most of the time it's just are you getting a vibe on the people? And in that particular year, I had the Colts five times that year. So that was a whole lot of Peyton Manning. And let me tell you, I walked away from that season, despite the fact they were three and 13 and he did not have a good year. I still walked away believing that guy was going to be ultra successful. That is an incredible anecdote. And you probably would say the same thing. If you had the same kind of experience with Troy Aikman, even at one in 15, I bet you he threw off that same vibe and you probably knew that he'd be fine too. I mean, I, there are so many things that we could cover. Let me ask you this. It's moving into March Madness. It's going to have an even greater meaning this year because it's going to be Jim Nance's final year of calling the Final Four on CBS. And you are going to be the one to move into that role next year. Let me, and not to bypass Jim, but let me ask you this. Since CBS acquired the rights to broadcast the NCAA tournament back in 1982, only three announcers have called the Final Four on TV. Gary Bender, Brent Musburger, Jim Nance, and now you will be the fourth. What does it mean to, to join this elite fraternity? 
Well, you just nailed it, Romy. Uh, it's mind-blowing more than anything else. It's a dream that you have as a kid if you think about doing this for a living. Uh, I remember vividly watching the 1979 National Championship. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly who I was with. Michigan State, Indiana State, the, the seminal game that really changed college basketball in many ways. There were great Final Fours prior to that, and college basketball had an indelible history, but that game brought it to the masses. And I was 10 years old. I had just turned 10. I was very aware of what was happening in the sports world. You mentioned it at, at the top of our conversation. Your wife will, will give you shit about this occasionally. As sports fans, we categorize based on years and what we were doing at that time and what life was like. And it's much easier for sports fans to think of life and compartmentalize life that way because these events have such a bearing on our day-to-day -day life. So to have the, the responsibility of doing this and the honor of doing it, I don't take it lightly. I know how much it means to the community. I know how much it means to the players, to the coaches, to the families, the extended families. It's it's a major, major honor. And I'm thrilled for Jim that he gets to, to do his last one in Houston where he went to college. It's a full circle moment for him. What he's done will never be matched to do this event for 30 years as the play-by-play -play announcer. That will never be touched. But I also recognize that CBS and Turner is, they're putting a lot of faith and trust in me and I'm, I'm just not going to let them down. I'm going to do the games the way that I do them now with enthusiasm, passion, uh, the right amount of prep, a little bit of levity and fun and everything I've got, I'm going to put into this event and I'm going to make sure uh, that I do right by my bosses and by this fantastic carnival and that's what it is. It's a carnival of college basketball. So excited. We'll have plenty of time to talk about it in 2024. It's going to be in Las Vegas, but uh, we're locked in on 2023. And this tournament's going to write a whole new story with new names and, and fresh narratives that we don't even know about today that just develop in real time. That's the best part about that event. Every single year you learn somebody's background that you knew nothing about, literally didn't know anything about them. And then it feels like you know everything about them because they come through on, on such a big and profound stage. You bet. And that's one of my favorite things about what I think is the best event in all sports. There are so many great things about our business and what we do and how fortunate we are to do what we do. But that to me has always been the very best single event in all sports, the NCAA yep. tournament. It's gonna be great. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. 
Oats wrapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? You mentioned family. I want to ask you about your son, Noah. He's the radio voice of the LA Clippers. He's already done national work for Fox and NFL Network. He's going to call Big Ten football next season for NBC. I mean, this, these are really stunning achievements for somebody who's just 25. How proud are you of what Noah has already achieved? Romy, I know you know this, so I'm, I'm just preaching to the choir. Whatever you do in your life, whatever you achieve, whatever accomplishments there are, they pale in comparison to your children. So whatever it is that that I am fortunate enough to do, it's nothing compared to seeing your your son or your daughter enjoy what they do, have passion for what they do, and for what Noah has done over the last few years since graduating Syracuse. It's been incredible for my wife, Elisa, and I to to experience and to to watch and and to enjoy and the fact that he has a blast doing it that he's doing something that he loves that to me is the best part of all of it the part that is hard and i think you can relate to it i don't really get nervous for myself going on the air doing shows i'm prepared i know what to do I have a confidence and conviction in what I do. Of course, there are moments that that might catch you a little bit and and you catch your breath and you take a deep breath and you go about your business. But man, when Noah's on the air, holy shit, (laughs) I feel stressed like I've never felt in my life because I have no control over. And I know that he's highly prepared and excellent at his job, but it's just, being a dad. It's like taking you back to little league all over again. And they pull him in from second base and ask him to pitch. And you're like, what? No, no, he's not a pitcher. Why? And it works out in the end, but boy, that that's a whole different level of angst that, that I'm not accustomed to. I think you nailed it. I think you just absolutely crushed that. I, cause you're ahead of me. Cause we have Janet, my wife and I have two sons, Jake, is a senior at Wisconsin, and he's going to graduate this year. We have a younger son, Logan, who's a senior in high school, and he's going to go to Boulder. But you're so right. Like, somebody would say to me a couple of years back, I'm like, what's one of your favorite memories of, you know, your life, your professional life? I would say the time my son Jake was playing club baseball and came out of his cleats hacking and went over the center field wall (laughs) as a leadoff man. Like, that. we we didn't ask you about your kid. We asked you about your life. And I said, right, and I answered it honestly. I got more of a thrill out of that than anything I'd ever done on radio or TV. Like, I can't believe that kid just went deep center field as a leadoff man. So you're right. We, We get so much more out of what the kids do than what we do. Just one more question about Noah, because Jake, Jake's really interesting, because on the one hand, Jake, and God, I adore the kid. He's a beautiful kid. He's a great, great kid. He's got his mother's personality, and my, my wife is beloved by everybody. Jake's funny in the sense, Ian, that sometimes he wants nothing to be to do with being Jim Rome's kid, because he wants to be his own guy and forge yeah. his own path. And then other times, he will very clearly take advantage of the door that it might open. What about Noah? How did he approach that? Because, you know what, no matter what, I you were 
were you literally are one of the best guys ever and most accomplished people in the business, but it still can't be easy to follow in your footsteps. How did Noah approach it? Yeah, Romy, this uh, was obviously part of the thought process when he decided to pursue a career in broadcasting, to go to Syracuse University where I attended, my wife attended. And to me, that was a major plunge for him. He easily could have gone somewhere else. He had the grades for it. He had the boards for it. And he elected to go to Syracuse and take this, this challenge on head on. And what I didn't know, I later learned, was for the first two years at Syracuse, he never mentioned his last name. Mm. If he introduced himself to people, he said, hey, how you doing? I'm Noah. And that was it. And of course, some people were aware of who he was and, and what his dad did and the fact that, that I attended school there and obviously I'm a big part of the alumni there. But he did not want that to affect the way people viewed him. So he kept it very tight. And my wife had a conversation with him second semester, sophomore year, where she figured out that that was his plan and allowed him to do that. But at some point said, hey, Noah, just so you know, uh, dad is is a good guy and is well liked and treats people well and is well respected you should be proud to be a son and you should be proud to say your full name and you do it at your rate and on your speed, but don't ever be ashamed of that. And I think that conversation helped transition him into his junior year when he was settled and people realized he had ability and he was also a good person and he was not trying to use the name in any way, shape or form to get ahead. He just wanted to go through the process like everybody else. And then he started to actually say his full name and introduce himself as Noah Eagle. And I think back now, I get it. You gotta, you gotta figure things out on your own. That was not a conversation that he and I had. He didn't ask me my opinion on that. He did what he thought he needed to do in the moment, and clearly it, it worked for him and served him well. But Romy, that's yeah, it's a part of it. And I, I understand it comes with the territory. I've told him all of these years, hey, dude, you're, you're going to get judged on your work. Uh, you might, might get a little bit, a tad, for 30 seconds, someone might say, oh, wait, is that Ian Eagle's kid on the air? And for 30 seconds, they might say, all right, I'll take a listen. Guess what? After 30 seconds, they don't care. You're either good at the job or you're not good at the job. It's that simple. And people form very visceral opinions and they don't even know why based on the sound of someone's voice, based on the, the terminology that they use, based on the volume level, the energy level, based on the smoothness, based on so many factors, how they work with their partner. They're forming opinions in the moment, and they don't even know what it is about that person doing the game that is causing them to either like it or don't like it. But trust me, they're not going to care about your name. They're going to they're gonna treat you like everybody else. They're either going to like you, not like you, be lukewarm, or you just fade into the background. 
That's and, how it works. And they'll always have an opinion, no matter who or what you are or what you do or what you say. It's just so interesting. I'm the world that, like the business that he entered into is such a different business than the one that you and I entered into. I said to my son, Jake, I'm like, you can't run my playbook. My pl Because he's yep. heard every story about how I came up and what I did. And it's a whole different story altogether, what I'm about to say. But I would say to him, you cannot run my playbook and expect to have the same results. And then it hit me one day as a 58-year-old man, I can't run my playbook and have the same results. But that's a whole <laughs> different podcast. But what's interesting is even the world that my 18-year-old is entering into is very different than the world your 25-year-old is in right now. Like Everything changes so dramatically, right? Never mind 30 years. How about the last 30 months? You're so right. And, you know, we'll take it back to where we started. I met you 30 years ago, just as things were really starting to hit for you. It was, it was obvious that there were big things in, in the future. And you started at that point to, to conquer them and, and take them to new levels that had not been seen in this business. And it was a ball of clay and it was a simpler time. And it was, uh, a different era where you could have an impact and it wasn't necessarily being shoved down viewers and listeners throats on a daily basis. You just had to grind. There was no going viral. There was nothing even remotely close to that. So all you knew was hard work and just doing it repetitive, wash, rinse, repeat every day. I'm going to go in, I'm going to do a show. I'm going to do another interview. I'm going to have strong opinions. I'm going to have good phone calls and I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. And for me, because I came through the sports radio background, it was instant gratification in many ways because you'd th throw out a topic, you'd, you'd do a monologue at the top of the show and you'd get phone calls on them and you'd find out pretty quickly whether people were into it or not into it. And if the calls weren't going in that direction, you realized, all right, I got to change course here. That's how you would course correct in the moment. There was no following on Twitter. What are people talking about today? It was you. It was all based on you and your imagination. As I went into play-by-play -play and realized that that's where my future was, it wasn't, again, comparing your calls to anyone else's call. I couldn't hear anybody else's calls. There was no satellite radio. I, I was just going off of what I instinctually thought was the right thing to do. And now because there's so much out there, I could call up any highlight of any season at a moment's notice. I want to hear how Al Michaels called it. Great. Put it on, uh, on my, my, uh, Google search and away we go. I want to hear how Sean McDonough called it, how Mike Tirico called it, how Vin Scully called it. It's all there. We just didn't have that. So I think the fact that it was a more innocent time for you, for me, probably worked to our benefit because we were just hard workers and grinders and, and had a vision of what we wanted. It's not going to be that way now. Just because you work hard today doesn't mean that it's automatically going to turn into success. There are just so many other factors that come into play the part that that we can articulate is hey you got to have a real passion for it if it's half-hearted it's not going to work people are going to sniff it out they're going to figure it out and in this business once that reputation is formed it's hard to reverse it you, you got to work really hard to change people's opinions about you 
I mean, Hassan, you are the best. Dude, you're, you're, you're amazing. I think you know me better than I know me. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. The one thing that I can just say, and I don't like to talk about me, but the one thing that I had, the one edge, the separation I think that I had was self-awareness. I really never thought that there was anything that I did that was exceptional. I went to school with kids I at UC Santa Barbara, not even a powerhouse like Syracuse or Missouri or something like that. I went to a school that taught mm-hmm. only theory. And we learned nothing practical about the business at all. I knew I had enough sense to go right to the radio station and never leave. But I knew there were kids that I went to school with that were just better. Man, they were more talented. They were smarter. They were. The thing that I had working for me is the thing that you just mentioned. We came up at a very different time in a different world. And what we had more than anything else was really good fortune, good timing. Like I hit the thing at the right time. And luckily I had a different approach and I've always known this. Like if I had to start today, the way some of these kids and my son are starting today, there's no way I would have this career or this life. I was very fortunate to hit it when I hit it and maybe come at it a little bit different way. It's kind of funny that you started with this background And then ultimately ended up with play-by-play because when I came up, everybody wanted to do play-by-play. And strangely, I didn't. And I grew up like every other kid that's in our business, obsessed with sports. But I kind of like the idea of doing a show and interviewing people. Before you leave me, let's talk about influences for a minute because I think that's so interesting. Like, even though I never wanted to do play-by-play per se... I grew up in Los Angeles, so I was exposed to some of the most iconic voices ever. We had Chick Hearn doing the Lakers. We had Vince Scully doing the Dodgers. Even Dick Emberg. I played Little League Baseball with his kid back in the day. Even Dick Emberg <laughs> would do the Angels. I mean, amazing voices. Like, if you're a Celtic fan, maybe you came up with Johnny Most. You, of course, were from Queens. What was it like then to grow up with Marv Albert, and how big of an influence was he on you? Huge influence on me, uh, Romy, and very similar to you, uh, those voices just resonated in my brain. At some point, probably right around eight years old, I started paying more attention in many ways to the announcers than just the athletes. That was of equal value to me. I wanted to know who was announcing. If I went to a game, I would automatically look up to the broadcast booth. If it was a Mets game, Bob Murphy, Ralph Kiner, Lindsey Nelson. If it was a Yankees game at the time, Frank Rizzuto, uh, Phil Rizzuto, Frank Messer, Bill White. Jets games, it was Marty Glickman prior to that. He was doing the Giants and on and on. The Knicks, it was Marv Albert. And the Rangers, it was Marv Albert. So... I not only at a young age uh, told my parents that I wanted to be Marv Albert, I would go around the house speaking as him and I would literally go to the breakfast table and I'd say to my mother and my father, I will have two eggs (laughs) over hard bacon, crisp toast, lightly buttered. (laughs) <laughs> and they wanted to get me professional help. They thought something was wrong. 
<laughs> they said, oh, you want to be like Marv Albert? I go, no, 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 no. I want to be Marv Albert. He said, well, that's troubling. So the fuck is the matter yeah, with this it, kid? It, it hit hard. It hit hard early. I'm going to say something that is definitely going to ring true with you because uh, I, I think we're cut from the same cloth and came out in very similar mentalities. When you're in college and you're doing radio, you just want to sound like you belong. That's the first thing. You don't want anyone to question what the hell is this guy doing here? So you're doing everything in your power to sound as if you belong on radio. And not to say it's a fake voice. I was probably doing a little bit of a version of Marv Albert. And then eventually uh, I let myself come through. But I was doing what I thought was supposed to be what you do on radio. And you get some level of success. You break out. You're in San Diego. You start doing stuff. And you're trying to figure out what your sound is. And similarly, you just don't want to be questioned on the air. But somewhere along the way, you don't want to sound like everybody else. And you realize that you have to sound like you. And that was a eureka breakthrough moment for me, probably late in my college years and then early in my FAN years that, no, I didn't sound like everybody else. I wasn't doing an impression of somebody else. I was doing myself. And in doing that, that is what created for you something very different than what was going on in that town and in radio in general. And the sound was different. And even for me going into the play-by-play -play realm, I wasn't a classic play-by-play -play guy by any stretch. I just was doing it the way I thought I would enjoy it as a listener, or as a viewer. And the essence of me came through. So it's a lesson in that you you think I just have to sound like everybody else doing this. So I just blend in and then somewhere it hits you that no, that's, that's not, that's not going to last. If you're bullshitting yourself, odds are you're not going to go very far in this business. You got to be yourself on the air. I think in a final thought, I, I echo that 100%. They know, right? They know you have to respect the listener. They will sniff that bullshit out. They know. They know if you care. They know if you have a passion. They know if you're prepared. They know. They know. Like, you have to yeah. earn it every single day. Now, look, I, I don't want to act like you and I are some – we're not up on a roof hammering nails and – now, nothing against that either, of course, right? Like, there's nobility in all work. I am in no way saying, look at us, Ian. We have worked really hard, but we care a lot. <laughs> we care a lot, and we know how lucky we are, but there's something to be said, right? Preparation does breed confidence, doesn't it? It does, and, and what I try to explain to, to younger broadcasters, the goal is to marry the two mentalities, preparation and performance. So the preparation part, look, that's a fundamental part of what we do. If you're not prepared, there's no possible way that the broadcast is going to go well. This now melds with the other part, performance. You could perform at a very high level, but at some point you'll be exposed in a big moment, not recognizing that this game means that this team qualifies for this or this player has now broken a record that you were not ready for because you didn't prepare. Flip it. 
you could be highly prepared. You could know every stat. You could know the background of every player and coach in the game that you're covering. If you don't perform well that day, NBA game, college game, NFL game, baseball game, hockey, it doesn't matter. If you don't perform well, it's not going to be a good broadcast. So how do you combine those two approaches, the preparation and performance, and the same holds true in what you do every single day? The thing about the job that we do is, yeah, you you can take things for granted if you wanted to because you've been doing it so long and you have a built-in audience. But I always view it that someone's going to be listening that doesn't know me, doesn't care, doesn't know my work, hasn't seen me or heard me before. They're going to form an opinion based on that one game or one quarter or one play. And if I'm not giving it everything I've got for that one day, one game, one quarter, one play, then I'm letting down the audience. So if that's what keeps me on my toes, if that's what balances me out amidst all of this and compartmentalizing the preparation and the travel and everything that goes into doing a game, nobody cares. They don't care how difficult it was for you to get to that city or that uh, they didn't have your press pass ready. So you had to wait 25 extra minutes at the gate because they didn't have it yet or that the meal was crappy and you're not completely fulfilled and full for your game. Nobody gives two shits. You have to perform when the light goes on. You've got two hours in a college basketball game, two and a half hours for an NBA game, three hours for an NFL game. That's all they care about. And that's all they should care about. Same page. I've always said that. I Number one, I've always said they don't care whether or not you get your nachos out of a gun or not. They don't care. Yep. They don't care. They just don't care. And nor should and they. they. Shouldn't. Like, by the way, they don't. We, you and I can't have bad days. They're coming to us because they're having a bad day. They're coming to us because they're having a bad life. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. They don't care, nor should you they care. It. And that that's even I fall prey to it today. Let me leave you with this thought. Today I am the show the daily radio slash TV show that I do, the thermostat went out, like the air went out. So I was operating under the lights in like 80 degree. In the Mm. studio, I was 80. I was melting, yo. I was melting. And so I kind of turned that into content. But deep down, I knew they don't care. Shut your mouth. Do your show. Get your rants off. Interview your athletes. Take your phone calls. They do not care. They don't care, and nor should they, nor should they. My man, I could do this for hours and hours. I want you to know how much I admire you, how much I respect you, how inspired I am by this conversation. You are simply the best, man. A pro's pro, all class. I appreciate the time we just spent, and I'm so glad we did that. I am nothing but love and respect. You are the absolute best. I mean that. Romy, the, the feelings mutual, ditto on, on every level, and I'm not just saying it. I, I hope you realize it when I did meet you all the way back then and and things were really starting to happen for you and I was at the beginning stages it meant a lot uh, you you said one thing that day that that gave me confidence of hey I've heard your work you're excellent people don't realize how far that can go for someone even in that one moment it took you a grand total of three seconds to give me a compliment and that compliment in, injected me with confidence. And it's just a reminder. You, you just don't know day to day uh, what, 
what can uplift someone's spirits. And that was 30 years ago. To have a conversation with you now means a great deal. Uh, I truly love you. I love the work you do. I love you as a human being. And we'll do it again another time. I mean this. And the reason I said it, just so you know, for your edification, not only did I mean it, I thought you were a prodigy. I thought you were a prodigy. And I thought for me to say something like that might sound kind of weird, but, but I thought so. I'm not saying I knew, but I thought so. So that's why I said that. And it means the world to me that you even remember the interaction. I and you are the absolute best. We will do it again soon. And I appreciate the time so much. Thanks again. All the best, Romy. Get that thermostat check, though, dude. dude we can't right have that. Now, we can't a, have that messing with your larynx. They, they don't care. They don't care. But that's going to be the first <laughs> thing I do as soon as we go. So I want to be very careful in how I come out of that conversation. And I want to be very careful about saying what I'm about to say so you don't get caught up in the hyperbole. But is that not the best dude ever? Let me rephrase that. No, let me restate that. Is that not the best dude ever? A total class act, the very definition of a pro's pro, and a guy with immense talent and knowledge and experience and just a good a guy as you're ever going to meet. I am not surprised by any of that at all, but I've got great gratitude for it. And whereas nothing ever lives up to the hype, my man just absolutely obliterated it. What an incredible conversation and what an incredible dude. My thanks to Ian. If you're looking for more conversations like that, I've already put out 250 plus and they're in the can. So make sure you go back, check any of them out because they all still hold up. And while you're there, do me a favor, take a second to subscribe too. It makes your life so much easier. That way, every single time a new episode drops, it comes straight to you. You don't have to go looking for it. It will find you instead. So do me a favor. If it's not too much to ask, can you smash that subscribe button right now? And then I will catch you for episode 257 next week. See you then.